Oh, one more thing. Uh, continue to pray for Josh in the Calvary Chapel Northwest up there in Woodstock. Hope things are going well up there, Josh. Good. Are they going well? Okay, good. If they weren't, would you tell us? Okay, good. Well, so things are, what can we pray for you about this, this morning, uh, this evening? And we'll, we'll do that right now. Lord, we thank you for Josh and, and what he's doing there at Calvary Chapel Northwest. We pray that you would bless that church, Lord, help heal the wounds that, that they've incurred. And Lord, I pray that you'll raise up leadership that can partner with Josh and, and help move that church forward. Lord, we love you. Thank you for uh, Josh and, and the work you're doing there and pray your blessing on that, uh, that whole um, fellowship, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, a proverb is a pithy saying. It's a terse statement phrased in a clever way to communicate an important truth. Here are a few English proverbs. All that glitters isn't gold. A penny saved is a penny earned. Out of sight, out of mind. Different strokes for different folks. Here's one of my favorite. A picture is worth a thousand words. You know, I also found this week, though, a few new internet proverbs. You can't teach a new mouse old clicks. Here's another one. The geek shall inherit the earth. A chat has nine lives. How about this one? Don't bite off more than you can view. What boots up must come down. Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach him to use the internet and he won't bother you for weeks. <laughs> and how's this one? The email of the species is more deadly than the male. Okay. Well, tonight we continue our study in the Hebrew Proverbs in chapter 18, verse 1. A wise man, uh, excuse me, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. This is not a wise man. He isolates himself. You know, I've been a pastor now for 29 years, and I've observed how that one of Satan's prime strategies is isolation. If he can cut you off from other believers, from other Christians, he can manipulate your downfall. He can cause you to stumble. You see, the devil will see to it that your feelings get hurt or that you get too busy or that you become the victim of a misunderstanding or that you just grow neglectful. Before long, you're no longer hanging out with the rest of the fellowship. Your life becomes an island. And once communication with the family of God, with other believers, is cut off, there's no way to call for backup. The supply line is gone. This is why Griffith Thomas writes, if we forsake our fellow Christians, it may easily lead to our forsaking Christ. Hebrews 10 chimes in, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. You see, a man who isolates himself rages against all wise judgment. In contrast, the more we stick together, stronger we become. Verse 2, a fool has no delight in understanding, 
but in expressing his own heart. All that matters to the fool is to spout out his own opinion. All he wants to do is be heard. He never bothers to listen and to understand what you might want to say to him. Here's a tombstone that was found in an English graveyard. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. Apparently that was a new experience for Arabella. He goes on, when the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. When the wicked comes, contempt comes. You know, there are some people that just like to bring contempt into the room. They like to stir up trouble. You know, they rock the boat, and then they want to convince you there's a storm at sea. Verse 4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. And what do you find in a deep, stagnant pond? What do you find? Fungus and algae, and mosquitoes, and pollution. But the wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. In contrast to man's wisdom, God's wisdom is clean and pure and alive and refreshing like a rushing river. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips enter into contention. And his mouth calls for blows. I mean, when a fool opens his mouth, you know there's going to be a fight. A fool loves to argue. Whenever he opens his mouth, you know the conversation might just come to blows. He says a fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles and they go down into the inmost body. The word tell-bearer means gossip. And the gossip is the one who cooks up tasty trifles. Gossip is like sweet pastries baked in evil imagination. Notice verse 9. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. Wow. A lazy man is a danger to himself and to his family. How many wives and kids suffer because the man they're depending on is just plain lazy? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Boy, there is power in the name of our Lord Jesus. His name is a strong tower, is it not? You know, throughout the New Testament, at the name of Jesus, miracles happen. Demons flee, blind eyes see, lame legs walk. There is authority in the name of Jesus. In fact, in Acts 4 verse 12, Peter there spoke of the name of Jesus to the hostile Jews in Jerusalem. He said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus alone can save a man's soul. You know, whenever I'm face-to-face with evil, I usually invoke the name of Jesus. I lift up his name. That is the banner under which I march, the name of Jesus. And here's my precedent. The name of Jesus is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. Riches provide some limited protection, but the world's richest man is no better off spiritually than the poorest. 
In fact, he may be worse off. Verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. You see, riches have a way of turning a humble person haughty or proud. And in that sense, a rich man's wealth becomes his liability. We're told, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. In other words, don't rush to judgment. Take your time before you speak. Ever tried to talk to a person who finished your sentences? You know, rather than listen, they just assume what you're about to say and they jump in mid-sentence. Oh, how frustrating that is. But in the same way, people make assumptions about the church, about its leaders, without taking time to listen, without first asking their questions and getting all the facts. Once I was counseling a couple who were living together, the girl said that she was sleeping upstairs and the guy claimed he was sleeping downstairs and I thought, sure. Yeah, I heard that one before. How gullible do you think I am? Well, later in the conversation, the fellow pulled me aside and he told me that his fiance had recently been raped and now she was scared to be in the house by herself. Suddenly, my whole perspective changed. You know, I got some new insight. I got a whole new view on the situation. As Solomon puts it, don't answer a matter before you hear it. Verse 14, the spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? I mean, when a person faces a terminal illness, their will to live is probably the single greatest determiner of their survival. Whereas a person with no hope is far more likely to die from their sickness. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. You know, medical doctors are becoming more and more sensitive to how the condition of the human spirit impacts the health of the human body. The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Boy, a man's gift makes room for him. Hey, approach a person thinking only of what they can do for you, and you're liable to get ignored. But come with a gift, and it gets their attention. This morning, this little bitty girl, she came running up to me, and she had this little Tupperware uh, container and a big piece of cake in that container. Her gift made room for her in my heart. Next time you want to see your senator or your congressman, tell them that you have a campaign donation and see how quickly they return your call. Verse 17, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. I've learned this in marriage counseling. There are two sides to every story. I've talked to the wife. And from my conversation with the wife, I concluded that the husband was just a vile and vicious person until I spoke to the husband and concluded that this was just a vengeful wife. Always remember, it takes two to tango. Rarely is a conflict completely one-sided. Usually both parties share some of the blame. Both are at fault. Always remember, the first one pleads his cause and seems right, but listen to his neighbor. You'll get the whole story. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. You know, wisdom finds impartial ways to settle arguments. 
You do this with your kids, okay? Pick a number. Okay, rock, paper, scissors. You know, the wise man, he casts lots. Okay, we're going we're gonna to settle this argument right now. The wise man, he casts lots to solve contentions. It's a good way to keep the mighty apart. Nobody can argue the outcome and say that it was unfair when you do the rock, paper, scissors or when you pick a number. Verse 19, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city and contentions are like the bars of a castle. This is why we all need to be polite and learn some diplomacy. So often we offend each other needlessly without thinking. We say something off the cuff and it does damage. And once you've offended the brother, it's hard, harder to win that brother back than it is to take over a strong city. Better not to offend them at all. Once you've cast the offense, you've driven a wedge between you and them. Verse 20, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. Now this kind of piggybacks on verse 19. Often success is determined by our ability to communicate. This is why we need to keep channels open. That we don't create unnecessary interferences. Verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Words are powerful. Words, the tongue, can kill or can give birth and give life. Verse 22, this is for my wife. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Oh, such a good thing. And obtains favor from the Lord. There it is. There's my marriage right there all summed up in one verse. You know, truthfully, no one wants to go through life lonely and alone. And what a joy it is to find someone with whom you can share your life. Shortly after we were married, Kathy and I did, we, we did get into a big spat. Probably the last argument we got, we've been into 29, 28 years ago. But we got into this big spat. and I went over to my dad's house for advice. It was a hot, sweltering summer day, and he was out in the backyard. He was tilling his garden. He was behind one of these gasoline-powered rototillers, you know, and he was, sweat was just pouring off of him, and, and, and he was just giving, this tiller was just giving him a hard time. I'll never forget, when I walked up to him, he never stopped the tiller. He, he just put it down in neutral. And he turned around to me, and he said, what do you want? And I started complaining about Kathy. You'll never believe what she did, Dad. He cut me off right there in mid-sentence. He said, son, I don't want to hear it. I've lived with you for 20 years. I know how hard it is to put up with you. What a jerk you can be. You should be thankful that God found someone that would put up with you. Now, whatever you've done, go home and apologize. And then he just turned right back around, dropped that tiller down in gear, and kept plowing up his garden. Never turned back. You know, I've never been back to my dad for any marital advice. <laughs> but I've also never forgotten what he told me. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Now, I hate to point this out, but ladies, it doesn't say he who finds a husband finds a good thing. We assume that's true, but it's, it's not really stated there. So. You be the judge. 
Verse 23, the poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. You know, a poor man hasn't paid much, and so he doesn't really expect much. He's polite, he's gracious, but a rich man, he demands what he's paid for, and he talks roughly. Verse 24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. If you want friends, then you have to take the initiative and be friendly. You have to go out of your way to make friends, to be friendly to others. There's truth in the little jingle. I went out to find a friend and could not find one there. I went out to be a friend, and man, friends were everywhere. Rather than complain that nobody from the church invites you over to their house, why don't you take the initiative and extend an invitation? Invite friendship, and people will reciprocate. You know there is a vitamin you can take that creates friends. You know this. It's B1. Notice the rest of the verse. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That friend is Jesus. He is the friend who never lets you down. And our tie to Jesus is thicker than friendship and family. It's spirit. That's the thickest tie. Jesus tells us in John 15, verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. Isn't that amazing? That's coming from our creator and our sustainer and our master and our savior and our Lord. But of all those titles, he chooses for us to call him our friend. He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Chapter 19. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Dignity is more valuable than dollars. Also, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he sins who hastens with his feet. Hey, get in a hurry. Act before you think. Get impulsive and it will probably lead you to some sin. You know that old motto, if it feels good, do it. Man, that leads to disaster. Don't be impulsive. Think through before you act. Verse 3, the foolishness of a man twists his way in his heart, frets against the Lord. Notice this, sin complicates. Man, I've done so much counseling over the years, and I've come to one conclusion. Sin complicates. Oh, what tangled webs we weave. You know, years ago, I bought a 100-foot extension cord, one of the worst mistakes I've ever made. Because now, every time I use that thing, it takes me 30 minutes to get it untangled first. It gets twisted. I mean, I do my best to keep that thing straightened out, but it gets twisted. Foolishness, lack of wisdom, sin causes a twisted and tangled life. And here's the irony. People spend 20, 30 years sinning, living life their own way, disobeying God, complicating their lives, and then they come to God and they expect Him to get it all untwisted in five minutes at the altar. Hey, God will work miracles, but often He's going to take His time to straighten out your life. You need to be patient and walk with Him. Wealth makes many friends. 
Yeah, win the lotto. See how many people flock around you and want your phone number and want to take you out for dinner, etc. But the poor is separated from his friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. Oh my, as long as you're doing favors, as long as you're doling out gifts, you'll have a lot of so-called friends. It's when you need a favor. That's when you find out who your true friends are. Verse 7, all the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? Everyone turns his back on the poor man. He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. God forbid that this ever happen in the church. You know, James chapter 2 warns the church about our attitude toward the poor. Show no partiality, James tells us. A person's economic status should never determine how we treat him. See, a well-dressed man walks into the church. He's wearing expensive clothes. But that man could actually be a spiritual pauper. Whereas a homeless day laborer could walk into the church. He, he's a child of God. He's royalty in the kingdom of God. He's clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We need to look past people's wallet to their heart. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. Verse 9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. You remember the dogs licked up Ahab's blood in the same spot where false witnesses lied about Naboth. You remember the story. They stole the vineyard. They told lies. They perjured themselves. Well, here we're told that the false witness will not go unpunished. He who perjures himself and covers up the truth, God knows, and God will punish such a person. Verse 10, luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. A fool with luxury and power will lose it and abuse it. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. You know, a mark of God's glory on a person's life is a forgiving spirit. That's what he's saying. You know, too many people, they have hard, they have, uh, they have a hard heart and they have soft skin. You notice that? Little things bug them and yet big things, they're, they're just calloused. On the contrast, we should have tough skin and a soft heart. Remember, a forgiving spirit, a soft heart, is God's glory on a person's life. The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. The king's wrath is ferocious, but his favor is refreshing. Verse 13, a foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Ever had a dripping faucet at your house? It's not a pleasant sound, is it? That drip, 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 drip. It drives you nuts, man. It's a serious irritation. 
Hey, this is how wartime armies interrogate their prisoners. This is how they pry from people national secrets. A contentious wife is like waterboard torture. That's what he's saying. Ladies, I want to say this one time. For your sake, I hope you take heed. All men, big men, little men, short men, tall men, skinny men, fat men, black men, white men, all men, even your man, hates to be nagged. He hates it. Your nagging and pestering and pushing may on occasion achieve some temporary results, but in the long run, ladies, trust me, it's doing far more harm than good. A wife drips because she wants attention, but most husbands respond to a dripping faucet in one of two ways. They either shut it out or they turn it off. And that's not what you want. That's not the reaction that you desire from your husband. You see, a wise wife learns how to effectively speak to her husband. She learns his language, what makes him tick, how and when to communicate. Better yet, she learns how to influence her husband with pleasant demeanor. 1 Peter 3 verse 1 encourages wives to act in ways toward their husbands so that even if some husbands do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wife. Pleasant wife will accomplish far more, will encourage her husband, whereas a nagging wife or a dripping wife, oh my, that's torture. Verse 14, houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Prudent means wise. I've heard it said, whether a fellow winds up with a nest egg or a goose egg depends a lot on the kind of chick that he married. Verse 15, laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Notice this, a donation to the poor is actually a loan to the Lord, and God pays tremendous interest. Verse 18, Chasten your son while there is hope. And do not set your heart on his destruction. Discipline your kids while they are young. It's been noted that by the time a child is five years old, 50% of their character formation has already been completed. That's why it's been said the best time to tackle a minor problem is before he grows up. Susanna Wesley, mother of John and Charles Wesley, founders of the Methodist Church, said the following about child-rearing. She said, when my children turned a year old, they were taught to fear the rod and to cry softly. I always remember when Nick was three years old, I had just put him to bed and I had settled down to watch the football game. And all of a sudden I look up, here he comes, just sort of sashaying through the living room. I looked at him and I said, son, what in the world are you doing out of bed? He looks up at me with this real defiant look on his face, and he says, Dad, mind your own business. Oh, my. Trust me, I proceeded to show that kid exactly what my business was. 
You see, a child learns self-discipline by being disciplined by their parents. Boxer Mike Tyson grew up without loving parents. He had zero discipline as a child. And why does it surprise us that he has zero self-discipline now? As a result, he's grown up an angry young man. Trust me, your kids will, will not, they'll be angry if you don't discipline. Your discipline speaks love into their lives. It's been said when parents don't mind that their children don't mind, then the children won't mind. Chasing your child while there is hope. Verse 19, a man of great wrath will suffer punishment. For if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. <laughs> this is why bailing out a person can, can be a curse to that person rather than a blessing. You know, if God is using difficult circumstances to discipline that person, and yet we help them escape from those circumstances, then they fail to learn the lesson God is teaching them. And they'll have to go through the same trial all over again. Verse 20, listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Wow, we all have our dreams, don't we? There are many plans in a man's heart. We all have our dreams, stuff that we'd like to do one day. I mean, what's on your bucket list? You know, the things you'd like to do before you kick the bucket. Man has his plans, but what matters is God's counsel. You know, in the end, I may die and I may leave behind many unmet dreams. But the one thing I hope for my life is that I was consistent and sure to do God's will. That's what matters. Not pursuing my dreams. My dream is heaven. What matters in this life is doing the will of God. Verse 22, what is desired in a man is kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. <laughs> That's a funny picture. Here's a man who's hungry. And yet he's too lazy to bring his hand up to his mouth and eat. But you know what? The same phenomena occurs spiritually. How many people do you know their soul is famished? They're starving spiritually while there is an unused Bible going neglected, just sitting there on the shelf. They won't even bring the food to their mouth. Strike a scoffer and the simple will become wary. In other words, a little smart punishment smarten some people up rebuke one who has understanding and he will discern knowledge he who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach verse 27 cease listening to instruction my son and you will stray from the words of knowledge a disreputable witness scorns justice and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity Chapter 19 closes, judgments are prepared for scoffers and beatings for the backs of fools. Proverbs 20, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. 
Shakespeare once wrote, O thou invisible spirit of wine, if thou hast no name to be known by, let us call thee devil. At the outset of Prohibition, evangelist Billy Sunday commented, Goodbye, booze. You were God's worst enemy. You were hell's best friend. I'll never forget the fellow that I led to Jesus on his deathbed. He was dying from cirrhosis of the liver. He had drunk himself to death. This poor guy was nothing but skin and bones, and he was in terrible agony. And at his funeral, never been to one like it, at his funeral, only three people showed up. His mother, his sister, and then the sister's daughter, who she made to come. Now that's a pretty sad commentary on a person's life. Now this guy's in heaven today because the grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient, but his life on earth was empty and painful for himself and for the people around him, and it was all because of alcohol. And you know, as a pastor, I've seen story after story after story repeated time after time after time. Guys, alcohol is a destroyer. It ruins lives. It it taints careers. It breaks up families. It it provides poor examples to children. And, And as I teach my kids, you'll never become an alcoholic if you don't take the first drink. Beware of strong drink. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. Oh, yeah, but, but, you know, the New Testament says take a little wine for your stomach's sake. I know all that. I know the Bible. Oh, I know you're free in Christ. I know if you want to take a glass of wine or whatever for your dinner or come in from mowing the grass and, and drink a beer or something, that's okay. I understand that. But how often do you stop at one glass of wine? How often do you stop at one beer? Or how often do you keep going? You drink more and you drink more. Hey, when, when you deal with wine, when you deal with strong drink, you, you deal with, with a power, with a force that has destroyed many people. Many men, many women have been laid low by alcohol. You think you can handle it. Well, you know, hey, I don't even want to risk it. I don't even want to risk it. I don't even want to exercise that liberty. I don't want to run the risk. Alcohol is a terrible, terrible destroyer. Pastor James does a lot of marriage counseling. You agree with me? How many problems people deal with because of alcohol? How many kids are abused? How many wives have been abused? How many marriages are on the rocks? How many divorces have occurred? All because of alcohol. God, I'm telling you, it's from the bottom of my heart. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The wrath of a king is like the roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. Verse 4, the lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. It it doesn't work because it's too cold, but then when it warms up, it's too late. I mean, the littlest thing causes him not to go to work, like Chipper Jones. Can't believe that guy. He's always hurt. Yesterday, he wasn't in the lineup because he strained an oblique muscle. What's an oblique muscle? He had no idea what an oblique muscle. 
Ty Cobb never set out a game because of an oblique muscle. Shoeless Joe Jackson never set out of a game because of an oblique muscle. Chipper Jones sits out the game because of an oblique muscle. Verse 5. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You know, when it comes to teenagers, I've heard it put, listen in a way that makes them want to talk and talk in a way that makes them want to listen. You know, the point is to be sensitive and to be intentional in your communication. You know, the human psyche is like a deep well. And it takes a lot of love and a lot of patience to draw out the feelings and the assumptions and the desires and the thoughts. My wife is so good at this, especially with our teenagers. And I make the mistake, they walk in the door and I bombard them with a thousand questions. Where you been? What, what's been going on? Who you been with? And they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to answer a barrage of questions. But Kathy just kind of gently primes a pump and sits down with them. And before long, they're, they're pouring out their day, telling her everything that happened. And I'm wondering, how did she do that? It's because, you know, there's some skill. It takes understanding to draw out from the heart of man the things that, that are going there. It, the, the counsel of, of the heart of man is like deep water. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? People love to sing each other's praise, toot each other's horn, but who among us is faithful enough to speak the truth? That's what he's saying. The righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. A king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. In other words, he keeps close watch on things. He deals quickly with sin when he sees it. Verse 9, who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? I'll answer that question, no one. Only in Christ and through Christ can we be clean, can we be pure from sin. Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now he's talked about this before. In short, God hates corrupt business practices. Verse 11, even a child is known by his deeds whether what he does is pure and right. You know, if you want to know your child, take time to study their behavior. A child's conduct shines a light on the child's identity and their character. You know, you want to know what's going on inside your kid, watch what they do. Study their behavior. And you can glean insights into their heart. He says, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. God gave us the capacity to hear and to see. So let's not be naive. Let's look. Let's listen. Let's be alert. Let's be a, pay attention to the people and the things that are going on around us. Do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. In other words, get out of bed and go to work. Get out of bed and go to work. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10, If anyone will not work... Neither shall he eat. If you refuse to work, don't come to the church asking for money or asking for food. If we find out you're not working, we don't want to give you any food. If you don't work, you don't eat. Verse 14, it is good for nothing, cries the buyer, but when he has gone his way, then he boasts. Now here's the guy, he goes down to the car lot, 
He picks out a car. He points out all the flaws to this car. He badmouths this car in front of the car salesman. Finally, he gets a low-ball price. Then he drives the new car off the lot over to his friend's house, and he brags about what a great deal he got on this supercar. That, that's the guy. He, he says to the buyer, he, the buyer cries out, it's good for nothing, but then when he's gone, then he boasts. Is there something disingenuous and unfair about that kind of a guy? There is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Take the garment of one who is surety for a stranger and hold it as a pledge when it is for a seductress. Again, don't be naive. If you loan somebody some money, make sure you get some collateral. Get his garment, man, until he pays you back. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. God sees to it that the dishonest man doesn't enjoy his gain. Plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel wage war. In other words, before a nation or a business or before a person goes to war, they need to first seek some wise counsel. You may need to think it through. If there's some other way other than a fight, then opt for that other way because war of any kind becomes costly and it becomes bloody. Verse 19. He who goes about as a talebearer or a gossip reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips. Always remember, if a friend will talk to you about another person, be sure that they'll talk to another person about you. Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. That's not good. I'm not sure what that means, but that's not good. So honor your father and your mother. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. You know, that means give a kid too much too soon. In a big trust fund, large inheritance. Give them that kind of an inheritance and it's something they don't have to work for. You know, inheritance gained hastily at the beginning. It's good, but not at the end. He or she will squander away what you've given them if they don't first learn the value of hard work. Verse 22. Do not say, I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will save you. Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord, and dishonest scales are not good. I've heard it said, a wise man is one who is never afraid to ask the salesperson to show him something cheaper. I like that. I have no problem doing that, by the way. A man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? I mean, this is why your 10-year, your 20-year plan is of very little value. I mean, only God knows the future. And he'll bring it to pass. That's why we just need to be flexible. Have a plan. That's okay. But just be flexible because, trust me, God's going to interrupt your plan over and over and over again. Verse 25, it is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. He's saying keep your promises, especially your promises to God. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 5 tells us, better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Christians should be people of their word. And when they make a promise, especially a promise to God, they should keep it. 
A wise king sniffs out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Solomon is probably speaking here of our conscience. And our conscience is kind of like an inner lamp that reveals our intentions and our, our motives. Verse 28, mercy and truth preserve the king, and by loving kindness he upholds his throne. You know, a king that becomes a tyrant loses his people's support. I like the next verse. The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. I like that. I've already made up my mind. When my hair starts to turn gray, like James, I have no intention whatsoever of hiding it with Grecian formula. No intention whatsoever. I'm going to wear it proudly. Gray hair is the splendor of an old man. He says, blows that hurt, cleanse away. And I have an uncle. He was like 80 years old. He had jet black hair. And every time we saw him, we, saw him, we laughed. Because he, we knew that he was, he was uh, you know, he probably spent $50 a week on Grecian formula, you know, because he was always putting that in his hair and keeping his hair. 80 years old, jet black hair. It was a joke. The splendor of an old man is his gray hair. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil. As to stripes the inner depths of the heart. You know, the blows of life can hurt. Have you discovered this? Life can punch in the mouth. Life can get rough. And yet the blows that hurt cleanse away evil. Tough times have a purifying effect, don't they? Proverbs 21, verse 1 is a great verse. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. For the last two and a half months, Calvary 316 has been dealing with this guy right there, the chairman of the Barrow County Commission. My, oh my, God bless you. I'm praying for you. We've been trying to resolve a zoning issue. It's been blocking our plans, and it has been so frustrating. You wonder, what in the world are these people thinking up there? Who are these people? How can anybody be so... I'll stop right there. I'll stop right there. It has been so frustrating, though. And every time I start to get discouraged, I remember this verse. The king's heart... It's in the hand of the Lord. And he can turn it as easy as you can rechannel water in a different direction. That, if that's true of the king's heart, but I hate to say this, I hate to admit this, but if that's true of the king's heart, that's also true of the commissioner's heart. And I keep getting challenged by the Lord. Sandy, will you trust me? You know, the commissioner's heart is in the hand of the Lord. No human government is truly in control. Ultimately, God is calling all the shots. God is in control. God is ultimately steering that commission and making these decisions. And I've just got to keep trusting in his providence and in his sovereignty. <laughs> Tough verse, though, I've got to admit. Verse 2. 
Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. Boy, our perspective is so limited. We listen to someone's words, and we watch their actions, but we never really know what's in their heart, do we? That's why it's wrong for us to judge. Because we don't know a man's intentions. We don't know what's in his heart. Only God has Superman X-ray vision. Only God can peer into a person's heart. He alone knows what's beneath the surface. Now, do not to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. That reminds us of what Samuel said to Saul. To obey is better than sacrifice. He says, a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. Now, of the three, plowing isn't a sin per se. But here's the deal. When, when you're plowing a field, or really when you're doing anything, but you're doing it with a haughty look and with a proud heart, then you know your motives can't be pure. What he's saying is that wickedness in a person's heart pollutes everything that they do. You've got a proud look, you've got a haughty, a haughty look and a proud heart. And you're out there plowing your foot, you're probably doing it for the wrong reason. He, he says that all three are sin. Verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Again, don't be rash, don't be impulsive. But for the wise man, it's ready, aim, fire. For the fool, it's ready, fire, aim. Big difference. Getting treasures by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy of those who seek death. Getting grades by a lying tongue is also fleeting and deadly. I say that in honor of those who are going back to school. The violence of the wicked will destroy them because they refuse to do justice. The way of a guilty man is perverse, but as for the pure, his work is right. Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now, now the old King James translates contentious with the word brawling. That should help you ladies. That, Makes it easier, doesn't it? I'm not contentious. I'm just bawling. Here again, this, this wife is nagging. And she's brawling. And she's argumentative. And she always wants to fight. And she always wants to quarrel. And she's always something wrong. Her husband's always doing something wrong. He can never do anything right. And it reminds me of the husband who thought his wife was an angel. He said, she's always up in the air harping on something. Ladies, have I said this before? Nothing, there is nothing your 